Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 130 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Sunday evening. As usual, join me for the first time in a while, actually, uh, the great Zach Dillard of Fox Sports South. What's up, man? I am back. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know how long it's been, but it's probably been a while. So it has uh, been a good, while. To, good, good to be back. Um, yeah, we're kind of coming down to the wire here, September. So good time to catch back up. Yeah, I uh, every once in a while I'll kind of just beg you to come on, and we talk offline quite a bit. And you know, I, I you know I try to save these bullets for important times, and we're in an important time because the playoffs are almost here, and the Braves might be in them. It looks like they're probably going to be in them. Before we get to some specifics on like the numbers and all that stuff, we can talk about what happened this week briefly. Uh, you know, the sweep of the Giants was really nice. That doesn't usually happen. The Braves have not done very very well in AT and T Park in recent years, but sweeping them. Um, and actually winning six six straight games at one point um, before sort of hitting hitting the wall on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I mean, this is a very general question, but how how you feeling about this team right and the way they're playing right now? Because obviously the playoff stuff is kind of what it is. But how you feel about the team itself and how they look right now? Well, so on a recent show we talked about this was what would be kind of your hierarchy of, I guess, attainable goals for this team. And I thought that winning the division should be first and foremost on their plate. Getting to the playoffs should be number one. But number two should be staying healthy. And so far, other than Camargo's groin, they're a healthy team. Uh, Sounds like he'll be back in the lineup uh, starting next week. And number three, I think it's finished strong. I mean, you look at when you get to the baseball playoffs, and I'm not the first person to point this out, it feels like just about anybody can win. This is not like other leagues, uh, especially like the NBA, where it feels like the best two teams usually end up in the finals. Baseball playoffs kind of get weird. So a lot of times it's the hottest team that makes it in. Uh, we saw this for years, uh, year in and year out with the Giants. Uh, 2000 was it 13 Red Sox. The last two years, the Cubs and Astros kind of both went uh, crazy after after August. So I, I think finishing strong um, is something that they should be trying to do, and they are certainly doing that on the road. But this is a team that at home – continues to kind of hover around that 500 mark. Um, the road, they've just been fantastic. 18-8 and eight, even since the second half. Best road record in the National League. Um, but but I think if, if they're going to lock up any sort of home field advantage, um, even if it's just an NLDS, if they were to get in, uh, I think they're going to need to play a little bit better um, over, the, over this stretch. But, I mean, if you ask me, I, I know it's Atlanta, and I know everybody looks at, <laughs> you know, don't don't blow it. And everybody has like September nightmares from this team. But basically everywhere you look, they're 90 percent and over. And I just have a hard time believing 
that there's a that this type of team is going to collapse again because it's not like the team behind them is making that run. It, it'd be one thing if the Phillies were red hot, but they just can't seem to get their uh, all their ducks in a row either. Yeah, quietly uh, at this moment, Philly's only a game ahead of Washington. Like that's kind right. of snuck up on everybody. Like Washington's seven and a half back, and the Phillies are six and a half back. Not that the Nationals are really particularly scary right now, but it kind of feels crazy to think about how bad Philly's been, and that has really obviously benefited the Braves. And if, if Philly, had, if Philly had been playing five hundred ball for the last month, this would be a lot closer race. Um, but. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think we're all kind of assuming they're going to make the playoffs. And, you know, with all caveats, you have to give the caveat somewhere. I do think the uh, the Atlanta, um, I don't know, the Atlanta schadenfreude from years past has gotten in everybody's heads, including mine and everybody else's. If you're a, if you're an Atlanta sports fan across the board, it's been kind of ugly um, for a while. I get, I get all the references to that. But if you look at the numbers, there's no reason that this team's not going to be in the playoffs. Um, so... You know, put that out of the way, and they have the third best rec- the third best record in the National League. They have the third best run differential in the National League, and they're still playing fairly well at this point. So it's not like it's not doomsday. It'd be one thing if they were going to back in here, and maybe they will. I mean, there's a scenario where the Braves don't play well over the over the last two plus weeks here, and still get in the playoffs, and then no no one will be feeling as good about things if they suddenly you know roll off like a five and eight here and back in. But you know, if they go. Seven, six, eight, and five, something like that. It, everybody will be feeling good, I think. So, it, it's important to point out what you did there, and that you know things are good. And I think it's worth saying that even if you have the caveat in your mind that it's not a lock just yet, um, everything points to the Braves making the playoffs, including like you know five thirty eight is the one that updates in real time. And it says ninety eight percent to make the playoffs right now. Um, that's pretty darn strong. It's not one hundred percent, but ninety eight percent is uh, pretty nice. By the way, Washington passing Philadelphia is much more likely. Than the Braves not winning the division, oh, which, by, by, which by the way, which I know I know they're just a game away, but everybody, you know, Washington it seemed like mailed it in at the deadline and trading away some of their top pieces like Geo and Daniel Murphy, but that would be a market correction, by the way, because the Nationals have a plus seventy nine run differential. The Phillies for the entire year almost have been running in the negatives and run differential. They're at negative nine right now. Uh, the Braves are at plus one hundred. The Nationals, by run differential, if you want to go by that, have been the second-best team in this division, even despite trading away all their pieces. So the, the Phillies have been kind of running by the skin of their teeth, but the Nationals finishing second in this division, uh, in, my, in my estimation, would be a market correction. They've been the second-best team. The Phillies have just been winning a ton of close games. Yeah, I mean, we've been, um, I mean, people that they are dialed into baseball have been making, kind of almost making fun of the Rockies for uh, kind of fluking their way uh, to a certain point. And now the Rockies have a better run differential than the Phillies do. You know, being being outscored for the full season, um, it doesn't preclude you from making the playoffs, but it makes things a lot harder. And, like, yeah, you know, I guess it, the Mariners. It happens. But yeah, I mean, the Mariners right like... now, the Mariners are, are minus 43 and they're 82 and 67. Like, they're not going to make the playoffs because the American League is ridiculous, but that team, like, they basically have the same record as the Braves, and they have a minus 43 run differentials. That's insane. So it, it can just, happen. It's just wild. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look at the Phillies, I mean, when a team like the Braves is 109 runs better than you are over the course of the season, yeah, that's usually what happens. You have it's a almost a run half. a game. That's a lot yeah. of runs. <laughs> I mean, it's almost. I mean, that's why you end up with a six-and-a-half game division lead. So I don't think any of this has been fluky for the Braves. I know that uh, I don't. I, you know, at no point this season has it felt like they've been an absolute juggernaut, but they've rattled off enough runs, and they just got off their 
season best six game winning streak. Came home, played Washington. I didn't. I didn't think they played well this series. Uh, certainly, the walks really piled up. But it's always worth keeping in mind. As much as you know, the bullpen struggles, or Sean Newcomb and the starting rotation has struggled, and uh, whoever's not hitting well, it, they've always been the best team in this division. So I don't think that. Um, I, I would not have said that preseason. I did not say that preseason. <laughs> no, but, nobody did, by the way. Nobody no. did, uh, but I certainly did not. Um, so it is a credit to them that, despite you know the, the the cold streaks or the you know hot and cold nature of the baseball season in general, uh, the Braves have pretty much kept a stranglehold on this division in terms of who was playing best, at least in terms of run differential. Yeah, they've been the best team in uh, basically any metric you look at. So, you know, hopefully that holds on for their sake. And, you know, 13 games to go, the Braves real quickly. They have seven against Philly, which we all know at this point in time. Basically, just do- just avoid disaster there. Don't go 0-7, 1-6, and you'll be fine. Then um, three at home against the Cardinals and three, three, three on the road against the Mets, whereas Philly has to go to Colorado for four, and that's not going to be fun for them. So, yeah, I mean, all, all advantages built in um, to the Braves here, including the lead. So, File that away. By the way, playoff tickets on sale on Wednesday, which I kind of like laughed at and just had this like visceral reaction to when I saw that tweet come across. I was like, playoff tickets, that's a that's something that hasn't been out in, sort of in the ether in a long time. I had, I had to like think about it and I was like, oh, that's a thing that they have to do here is sell, sell, sell playoff tickets. It's wild. You have to do it. Get 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 the bank account going. Yeah, business. Uh, all those fun things. Uh, you mentioned it briefly. I want to touch on uh, the one, I guess, bit of news from this week is that Camargo missed the last four plus games. He uh, left that game and uh, you know has has this groin injury. I guess Brian Snicker said today on Sunday to the uh, to the assembled media that they expect him to play on Monday. So it looks like he's going to be okay here. Um, it's a big loss. I mean, Camargo, for as much as I have been a, a doubter in the in the past, he's been fantastic. He has a 120 WRC plus for the season and. You know, when Snicker, uh, I guess, finally inserted him as the number two hitter, it made a lot of sense for them to do that. And I think at the at this point in time, given the way that he's always treated that spot in the lineup, Camargo is the best choice for that spot in the lineup right now. And it'd be nice to have him back in there because, you know, for as good as he's been, and again, I'm not necessarily sure it's 100% real, but he's he's been very, very good this season, and they, they, they are better with him in the middle of that lineup. I mean, give, give Camargo one thing that he has continued to – develop and he you know chipper jones he looks great. <laughs> i mean he does i mean he absolutely looks like a standout third baseman and he didn't look like that you know he was kind of hot and cold uh really struggled uh, against right-handed pitching at times uh, last season uh but he started to turn things around we can kind of see it in spring training uh chipper jones saying that he's the most approved player that he's seen since he rejoined the front office or he joined the front office so he just has been on this continued progression in this continued track and um it's just been funny this especially over the past couple weeks uh, whether it's Camargo or whether it's Charlie Culberson um the guys that are hitting fifth in the lineup uh guys that are hitting second in the lineup I never would have guessed uh entering this season and and it's a credit honestly to um and I have my qualms with lineup construction a lot of times but when you put Joan Camargo I wouldn't have had that in the in the preseason but I think that might be their best lineup at the moment when he's healthy is Acuna, Camargo, uh, Freeman, and Marquecas at the top. Um, or at least has been their most productive one, in my opinion. So I, I will I will give them that. They have slowly rode that Camargo train. And uh, second half right now, he's slugged 524, 365 OBP, uh, nine home runs. He continues to drive in runs in big spots. Uh, and the funny thing is, is he goes down – and Charlie Culberson has been great when he when he's had to step in. 
so I think they've just really discovered uh, a nice little a nice little situation here on that left side of that infield with um, Culberson and Camargo. And I know Dansby hasn't hit very well this year, but he's providing them Gold Glove caliber defense as well. So it, it's it's been a nice discovery, uh, despite all these top prospects. This guy that was kind of a slap hitter a couple years ago, developing into uh, an absolute major league everyday talent. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, for a while now, he's been um, the the guy that I would say has been the third best hitter in terms of the guys that I want at the plate for a while behind you know Cunha and Freddie Freeman. It's been Camargo. You know, we're going to talk about uh, Marquecas here in a second and how he's kind of regressed and cooled off a little bit. And Camargo has been very consistent and very good throughout the season. And you know, if you're married in the way that it, it, they appear to be to Acuna leading off and Freeman hitting third, Camargo's the most logical option at number two right now. And that says a lot about the way he's played. And, uh, you know, it's he's been very, very good. So hopefully he'll be back in on Monday, as they expect, and uh, healthy the rest of the way. Because, you know, those soft tissue injuries can kind of bug guys. And, you know, it's probably good that they were able to give him another day or two. I bet he probably could have tried to play, you know, at some point over the weekend. I'm always kind of in favor, especially right now with the cushion they have. Give the, give the guy the extra day with a soft tissue thing and kind of just avoid it coming back to bite you because he's, as we just said, a very uh, sort of integral part of the team uh, look, looking forward into October. Yeah, he stepped out uh, today to pinch it, it looked like, and then I think he went back yeah. into the dugout. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Charlie Culberson homers today, and Danzy Swanson looks he's great. He's been ridiculous, too. I <laughs> mean, by the way, if Charlie Culberson, the Nationals may want to just do like a one-for-one straight-up trade, Charlie Culberson for Max Scherzer, because <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Culberson has been incredible against the Nationals all year. It's been a – it's it, it's an it, – I can't I can't describe it. Uh, it feels like inevitable every time he steps to the plate against them. But six of his 12 home runs this season have come against the Nationals, many of those in walk-off fashion or uh, late-game situations. So it's it, it's it's been funny to watch um, just those out-of-nowhere guys that tend to, tend to just thrive on one team, and that's been Culberson against Washington. Yeah, I mean, some uh, actually forgive me for not knowing and remembering who who sent this tweet, but somebody tweeted over the weekend that if they uh, if they were told that um, Culberson was hitting fifth in the lineup in um, in September, they would have thought the Braves were uh, very very bad at baseball before the season. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, and I made fun of Culberson plenty in the, in the early going. And listen, we're at you know almost 300 plate appearances of him being a, a soundly above average hitter, so he's proven me and everyone wrong, I think. Um, and you know, there's there's no overlooking his contributions, his uh, his positional versatility, his bat off the bench. Uh, he's been by far the best reserve this season, and uh, you know it's vital. <laughs> very nice to have someone that you uh, trust coming in to replace guys at various positions when they get hurt. It's always good to have that kind of guy moving around the diamond too. And they have, you know, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but they have bench question marks, and it's nice to know that you know a guy coming off a career year, he's under club control, and uh, it's it it's looking like that could be a bench spot wrapped up for 2019 too with how he's played yeah let's just do that now I mean it's I got an interesting mailbag question this week I didn't I didn't put I didn't put the call out because I knew I had you and we have relative limited time so we didn't want to crowd it too much but Tim Trussell Smith asked uh, basically asked us to speculate about the about what the bench might look like in the playoffs so we, we've done a lot of stuff on the rotation it's kind of the easy thing to talk about as to how the rotation is going to look but the bench is really interesting because um, there's a couple of locks, you know, Culberson is definitely one of them. The other catcher, whether it be Suzuki or Flowers is one of them. And I think Lucas Duda is one of them. What the heck happens with the rest of this bench for the playoff run? Because you have guys that you thought would have been in there for sure. And especially one of those, one of those I'm thinking of that you thought when he was traded for that he was going to be there for sure. But then there's a lot of uncertainty, um, outside of those three guys that you know are going to be there. 
Well, you took the three answers out of my mouth, and I don't have, and I have two question marks. So um, I, I'm Full right there with Zach. you. I stole him from Se- you. I'm sorry. Second, second catcher, um, Lucas Duda is going to be in there. He's he's going to help them uh, be that pitch hitting option. He's the first pinch hitter really um, off their bench at the moment. They needed they needed somebody like that. Um, and then Charlie Culberson. Uh, so when you look at the rest of the lineup, I, the guy that you're talking about right now is. Adam Duvall. And I don't know what the situation is with Adam Duvall. If it's just for the first time in his career, he's not an everyday player, but with Duda taking care of right-handed pitching, uh, they kind of needed somebody to come in and take care of left-handed pitching. And Duvall was supposed to be that player. Uh, it hit very well against left-handed pitching for over the course of his career. Uh, two-time gold glove finalist. Uh, last time I checked, he still leads all left fielders in defensive runs saved. Uh, for the entire season, even though he's been a backup for uh, a good month or two now. But he just has not hit. Uh, today he got in, uh, put really good contact on, but was, just hit it. It was kind of like an atom ball, uh, hit him right out, of, right out of fielder. So at at this moment, I mean, you're kind of looking at Adam Duvall, Lane Adams. Uh, I really I don't think they can go back to the Ryan Flaherty well. Um, oh, please Preston, don't do that. Pre- to me. <laughs> Preston Tucker, Preston Tucker is not eligible for the postseason, um, and him and Duda would kind of be redundant a little bit in terms of uh, hitting right-handed pitching. So, I don't think that they have a ton of options at the moment, and I think it might have to be a Duvall off the bench. And then the big question, uh, kind of right back at you, is: Would you consider because with this lack of options, would you consider going four-man bench? and then turning to an extra arm in the bullpen since they don't have a ton of options for the rotation to get maybe one extra, you know, starter, long reliever, whether it's a Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, whoever, could you, could you shorten the bench and then, and then add one of those uh, extra arms, uh, knowing, knowing, knowing full well that in a postseason, a lot of times you want to use the bench in those situational moments like pinch running, pinch hitting. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't do it. I would I would think about it because of the lack of options. At, at the end of the day, I think if you're going to do that, I'd almost rather just keep Lane Adams and have Lane Adams be your just pure specialist, you know, yeah. defensive replacement, pinch runner guy. Um, you don't want him hitting, but, you know, he's still going to be better than – if you run out of bench guys, he's better than a pitcher, you know what I mean? Like it's a situation where you don't love Lane at the plate, but he does bring some value there. And I, I think there's enough – situations in a playoff series where you're going to want somebody like that and you don't really have that guy on the bench. I mean you mentioned these bench guys right now the locks you know the backup catcher is very slow Duda is very slow Culberson isn't like this he's not slow but he's not somebody you want pinch running in a situation so like if you have a situation late in a game where you get one of your lumbering guys on base and you need you need to create something you need someone that can run um I think that's useful I mean Adam Duvall is not a bad athlete obviously um, but a situation where Lane's just kind of a different player. So I would roll with that if all else fails and just go with that more sort of super um, super sub kind of guy with Adams. But it's not a crazy thought to go with the short bench. I mean, the Duval thing is really puzzling to me without going too deep down the rabbit hole. Like, I'm someone who trusts the full sample with Adam Duval a lot more than like the 50 plate appearances that he has in Atlanta. But if you're making that decision in terms of just this small sample, which you kind of are for a playoff series. I do see the rationale. I'd be like, look, he's been terrible, and we don't maybe not we, maybe they don't see the signs that he won't be later on. So big picture, I think Duvall will be on the team next year. 
I think he's under control. He's very cheap. He has the talent um, stuff that you said. You know, he's not a perfect player by any means. You know, low batting average guy does have some good power. Good defender in the corner outfield spot. Like he's not this perfect player, and he's never going to be a starter for you. But he's so cheap long term that that matters. But in the playoff series, if he's still this bad for two more weeks now, he's going to get some opportunities in the regular season. But if he doesn't show something between now and October. I do see the argument against him, even if on paper he is obviously the best option, but on paper does extend to the recent past where he's been really bad. So it's kind of weird, as you mentioned. It's just a really tough spot for, you know, Anthopolis and Snicker, whoever's making that decision probably together. There isn't an obvious guy beyond those three um, that we mentioned. So it's really tough, and I'm glad, I'm, glad they, I'm glad the question's being asked, and I wish there was a better answer. I mean, you, you also have, like, Rear Ruiz is available, but he also is sort of like a one-position defender, hasn't been great at hitting lefties. Like, it's not – again, there's just no great options, so, unfortunately. To me, to me, Ruiz is a little bit redundant with Duda um, in, in terms of just hitting a pinch hitter against right-handers. He's just um, the one guy we hadn't talked about that's actually right, available. It, Everybody else is. I mean, I guess you have Rene Rivera if you want to carry a third catcher. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I wouldn't I mean, do that. Well, the thing about the thing the thing about this is now I, I know that you know carrying a third catcher sounds crazy, but the second catcher, whether it's Flowers or Suzuki, hits much better against left-handers than Adam Duvall. So if you did want to free one of those guys up to be your bench bat against the left-hander, that is possible. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just if people say you can't carry Duvall, he's been bad. My my answer back is okay. Then who else then who? are you going to carry? I because agree. it because you do run into a situation where they kind of lose a little bit of depth. They have three really good depth type pieces. I think um, that clearly you know Culberson was in that role last year on a World Series contending Dodgers team, and he provided good depth in the postseason. So. A couple guys have been there. You have a veteran catcher that you can lean on if you need to. Uh, Both of them can hit, both catchers. I I just don't know where they are going to go with their bench options. And it's very clear at this point they have completely abandoned the trade deadline strategy of Duvall starts against left-handed starter. Um, It does not last long at all. Acuna goes to center. I mean, it lasted for like a game. The the first time they ran to -to back-to-back left-handed starters – uh, Ender was back out there because Snitker said he didn't want him sitting on back-to-back days. So <laughs> that, stra- that strategy went out the window really quickly. So I think the question would be, if you're in the Braves front office, is this a problem with Duvall from him not having the everyday playing time? Is that is that what's causing these issues, which he's never done before? Um, is that why he can't work himself into a rhythm? Because, look, that's going to be his role in the postseason. And if he's going to struggle in that role, you have to look elsewhere. Um and I don't know where else they would look. Um, I thought they would give a little bit more of a look in the in during the season to a Michael Reed, who yep. has absolutely torched uh, minor league pitching, but he's only gotten seven plate appearances this season. So that would be a really tough call because he hasn't even really been called on at all uh, during the regular season. So, um, and I, I guess he's on the sixty day disabled list now anyway. So uh, I, I I just I don't know where else you would look uh, when you look at this roster. Yeah, it's a tough spot, but I, I think I tend to agree with you on this one. And I, hopefully, the Duval will kind of bail the Braves out and show something in the next two weeks. Because if, if he does anything, he's an obvious choice. Um, but if he's if he's you know six for sixty five, it makes it tough. So we'll see. Um, that's just a, you know it's a good question, something to kick, kick around because the rotation is going to get all of the focus, and you know rightfully so. But the bench is also interesting as well. Um, one of the things you mentioned there is Ender Inciarte, so let's transition there. A couple of guys in the outfield 
that are going opposite directions, but both sort of regressing to the mean. Ender, um, I think, you know, this is also Los Angeles theater, but the, him hitting left-handed pitching all of a sudden kind of helped to shuffle the Duvall experiment out the window, I think, um, in, in, in sure. concert with Duvall not hitting. Uh, Ender yeah, waking up and hitting left-handed pitching probably helps. And overall, you know, Ender, you know, it's, sort of, it's sort of an arbitrary endpoint, but he has a 110 WRC plus at the All-Star break. He's now kind of back to basically what you would think he would be like not this like incredible hitter but someone who's like a league average bat um and that's that's nice because you know for a long for a long time this year probably longer than people actually realize he was very bad at the plate kind of overall and now he seems to be waking up even if it's you know the hot hand stuff got overrated a lot of times during the season like he'd have two good games and he'd be like ender's back and it's like no and now he kind of is we, we have we probably have like a you know month and a half two month sample of him being kind of what you want him to be again i totally agree and some of that came as a complete surprise because when he moved back up to the second spot, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. No, I mean, literally like I'm, I want to compliment Ender here for like, he has had a very good second half and I always scoff at the first half, second half hitter, but he really has found his rhythm and Kevin Seitzer has credited him with getting his swing back together. Um, But when he went back to second, that move made no sense to me then he hit 40% above league average when he moved back up there. Um, started scuffling a little bit. They moved Johan Camargo up there. He moves back to about six six or seven uh, in the lineup. And again, like you look at just the random spots that he's played this year. He's hit really well at second, really well at fifth, really well at seventh, and really well at eighth. And I thought he looked pretty good in the ninth spot when they moved him down there. Really his numbers uh, at the end of the day have really just been dragged down by a complete lack of efficiency and production at the top. And, and that's really where his entire season was really dragged down. And they kept him up there in my opinion for far too long, but really a credit to Ender and Ziarte because I think at the very least, he's a lot to be a gold glove finalist. I think uh, he could win his third straight gold glove in center field at a premium position. And then he turned around and got his, Back going a little bit when it mattered, because uh, you mentioned Nick Marcakis. They've had a couple guys uh, start to struggle a little bit. Acuna's been out of this world, arguably a top five player in all of baseball since the All Star break. But uh, getting Enciarte back up and going as guys like Albies, Marcakis, Freeman, those guys have slowed down, has been a really big help. It could not have come at a better time for them. So uh, yeah, credit to Ender for for turning around a season that looked really really bad for a long time and. Yeah, right about, you know, right now he's hitting 13% below league average, but the second half when it's mattered for them, they he's he stepped up and, you know, he deserves credit for that. Yeah, I think there's some, I mean, obviously, you know, the full season stuff speaks for itself. He's not been a great hitter on, on the whole this season, but, you know, I think also it's something that we don't have to get into now, but he was overrated as a hitter by a lot of people coming into the year. Even, you know, it's it's batting average and it's all the stuff that you would get into, but uh, he actually has been very useful recently. And so that's, it's good to see because, you know, if nothing else, I know you and I have both said this on numerous occasions, his value elsewhere is huge regardless. Um, it's just, you, you need him to hit a little bit and he's now hitting a little bit, which is kind of all you need to see because, you know, defensively in center field, as you know, like, it's it's very very good and he's fast and he's got you know good utility everywhere just just hit enough and he's definitely doing that again which is nice to see um the other guy kind of going the wrong direction um not not in a terrible way at least I guess the spent some moments recently is Nick Marcakis I noticed a little bit this week 
that his numbers are actually a little bit worse than I thought. Obviously, he was incredible early in the year, um, worthy all-star selection, um, you know, helped to carry the Braves for long periods of time. He was, you know, obviously having sort of an out-of-body experience for a few months there, and I think um, quietly, I mean, I think people people probably understand that he's cooled off, but I think it's been worse than people probably understand it's been since that early season barrage. Uh, obviously, not a big surprise that he cooled off because he's, you know, at his age, it was always going to come back a little bit. But what do you make of Marquecas now that he's been very ordinary for a while and struggled pretty considerably in like the more recent past? I think that he had an extended slump along with Freddie Freeman, and he's broke out of it before Freddie Freeman has. Uh, he's that, hitting, is, that is very true. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's kind of where we're at with Nick Marquecas hitting seven percent above league average uh, in September. So he's kind of come out of it, uh, come through with some big hits and some big spots for them. Uh, 403 uh, OBP this month. So he's come out of it a little bit. But I, I heard that it reminded me today, and I texted you about this. Um, on the broadcast, they mentioned that Nick Barkakis has played every game this season. Uh, and the and they said, like, you know, that's amazing. And they are right. Like, he had an all-star year. He's played every game this season. Um, he stayed healthy. He's really taking care of his body. Um He's, a, he's an everyday player in his mid-30s. Like, you don't really um, – sometimes that's not the case. So my question is, is that is that something that you want to care – you want Nick Markakis, assuming that this team makes the playoffs, playing 162, or is at any point this guy going to get a day off? Uh, because when you look at the second half, it's 5%, 4% below league average at the plate. So that's just my question. I think he's had a really good season – uh, he's still one of the most consistent ABs, and clearly, you know, Brian Sitker in this front office trust him. They want him in those big spots because I don't know other than you know you mentioned Camargo, but I don't really know other than uh, Freeman, Acuna, Camargo, who you want to be up there in those spots. Yep, that's, you know, that's the that's the list. <laughs> those three guys. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, but Marquez has been has been good in those situations. Yep. Uh, looks like the power has come back a little bit. Uh, got the double by power. I mean, double power. Um, so uh, it, it's just it's one of those things where he's had, you know, you could say a career year um, for most players. He had some really good days in Baltimore, but it's been close to a career year. He's been an all star player. But in the second half, um, I'm just wondering if maybe they try to buy not only him, but try to buy everybody some time off if and when they clinch this division. The magic number being at eight. Um, that's always the big the calculus that front offices and you know the dugout and the managers and the coaching staff had to come up with is how do we rest players? How do we stay sharp? Uh, there's a lot of, I guess, I, I, I don't know, a, a debate there. But yeah. I think Nick Markakis needs to just like kick his feet back for a day. Just yeah, relax I'm, for a day. It's fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm not like team shut everybody down once they clinch or something like that. No. But I do think it would be kind of insane if they were to clinch – with four or five games left, um, which is probably the most reasonable scenario at this point in time, the most likely scenario, him playing every game is kind of insane at that point. Like, give him a day at least. Um, I feel the same way about Freddie Freeman, who did take a day, which I was actually kind of surprised by, but he did. Um, he famously has never wanted to take days off either, but it was only one day. <laughs> so it's not like Freeman's... And he uh, pinch hit. Yeah, and he pitched out the, pitch it and homered in that game. Yeah, which he, is obviously, he came uh, in, yeah. Pinch hit Homer and then that and that terrible game that everyone. He's got he's got it. antsy. He's like, all right, this is enough. Yeah, I've sat, but I've sat you know for I mean? three abs. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see. I mean, I do think 
it we'll never know fully, but it could be part of why my record could slow down a little bit. Obviously, it was, he was always going to do, slow down. Like he had a thousand OPS for the first th- thirty-two games of the season. It was always going to come back a little bit. Um, and it did, and you know, even for the full year, still, you know, one twenty w one twenty w wrc plus is still very, very good, and uh, much better than everybody would have uh, projected from Marquez. So we'll keep an eye on him. I, I do think, um, you know, again, it's worth reemphasizing his contributions. They it, they've been very, very good, and hopefully he, I know, you know, obviously two hits today. He's he's coming out of it a little bit, which is nice because he needs to be, you know, not necessarily the guy from April, but he needs to be one of the best four hitters on this roster when the playoffs arrive. Um, for them to be as feisty as we hope they'll be. So there you go. And it, o- it always gets overlooked, I think, a little bit, including by me. I've never been a big uh, Nick Barkakis gold glove finalist type guy, Oof. but he does provide them really solid defense in right field, knows how to play the wall. Um, and, and he ge- he gives them, you know, by stat cast, usually around that three, four outs above average. And I think we saw when they tried to put Duvall out in right field that if, if that did, if, Sometimes it doesn't go. It doesn't look as easy out there. So I don't think Marquez is a game changer by any means. I don't think he has a plus arm out there, but um, he's also provided them solid enough defense at right field. Not difference making defense by any means, but when he's hitting, um, uh, even even close to what he was in the first half, um, he's still a, a, a incredibly useful player, especially on this team where if you have Acuna at one. You don't really have a great option at four, so Nick Barkakis is going to give you those, you know, really quality abs, and he's just been a really good player all around. So it's it's been nice for them that he's broke out of this uh, second half slump. But they what they really need is Freddie Freeman. I mean, that's that's what yeah. that's what this offense really needs. And I know that everyone else uh, has performed really performed really well on this road trip, but um, I think that's. You know, I, I mentioned the hierarchy of needs and attainable goals for them earlier on this podcast, but getting Freddie Freeman right is just about as close to the top as almost anybody. You know, they need a couple starting pitchers to be, you know, clicking if they make the postseason. But I just think that Freeman is that one bat that's not named Ronald Acuna Jr. in the middle of that lineup that they really need to get going. It just it's been slow going for him. Yeah, I think it, it's. I'm probably guilty of not mentioning that mentioning it enough, because I think we just all assume it's going to come back because he's that good. He's that kind of you know top ten player in baseball kind of good, but it does need to happen. I mean, he's been uh, average for a long time, and you know that's and that's really uh, that's a big slump for someone like him because he's obviously uh, capable of much more than that. So uh, that's worth noting. And yeah, there's something going back to Marquez real quick. There's something to be said for just the guy who makes the plays that he's supposed to make in right field like it's a low bar to clear but he also clears it comfortably um right he's you know so just some comfort there and i i probably have i mean i know i've been hard on him at times and obviously i really um did not see this coming this season so he's been very good and very very useful so that's worth emphasizing one more time well i've already kept you longer than i said i was going to and and that's not a surprise um to anybody but um as we get out of here, um, I have to ask you one question. I didn't, I didn't prep you for, so uh, my apologies on this because I wanted to get your natural reaction. Uh, a couple of questions that we got about um, a certain manager being the manager of the year frontrunner, um, and I think he's going to win it. Um, do you do you agree with me that he's going to win the manager of the year? And by he, I mean Brian Snicker. Does manager of the year get? Do they have finalists? Ooh, I don't know. You, this is something you probably that you that you probably know more than I would. Um, 
I think, I they, think there are fans. I think they get vote. Yeah, I think there's. He's going to get votes. I. That's a hundred percent. That is. That is a hundred percent lock. <laughs> yes. Like there, there are a couple locks in here. Ronald Acuna Jr. getting Rookie of the Year votes and maybe winning it. Ender and Sierra getting Gold Glove votes, and then Manager of the Year Brian Sanker will be getting votes. Um, in terms of winning it, I think he almost has to be the favorite. I would have said if the Brewers had beat out the Cubs that maybe we could have had a conversation. but About Craig Council, you mean? Yeah, yeah Craig Council. But like the nature of this award for years, for good or right or wrong, is usually what were preseason expectations and then what were, you know, at the end of the regular season, what did it look like? And we don't always agree with that, but and I usually don't, but that's like it's like that in almost every single sport. It's which team ended up doing better than the vast majority of prognosticators said they would. So by that standard, uh, I think he could be the favorite at this moment. I can't think of uh, many other options that are above him when it comes to, you know, who who over who overachieved this season with their roster. And I don't think, you know, when you look at this roster, and you look at the Phillies and what happened with the Nationals. Clearly, this Braves team is ultra talented, and I don't necessarily even give the lion's share of the credit to Snitker, like squeezing every inch out of this roster. I just think they're that talented, and they will be for a long time. But I mean, this team is going if if they run away with this division when they were supposed to finish third or fourth. Um, I, I have to say that I think he will be. Uh, NL manager of the year, or at least getting you know second second most votes, he's going to be right there. Yeah, that's basically what I said to uh, somebody that asked me that que- that question this week, and I had a nice conversation on Twitter with people. There were it was a, it was a rare respectful conversation on Twitter about Brian Snicker, um, exploring his uh, strengths and weaknesses and all that fun stuff that we've done a million times. But I said it in May that he was going to win it if they won the division. You did. You tweeted I, it. You have tweets. I have tweets. I have paperwork. I I, I mean. It's a whole, as you, I think it's important to note the criteria in the past, as you did, that it's usually reserved for a manager that has their team overachieve versus preseason expectations. And he fits that bill perfectly. Um, the only other guy in the, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Craig Council. The only other guy I'd mention is Bud Black in Colorado. Because, yeah, um, yeah. and I mean, going back to the run differential stuff, the Braves are better than the Rockies, um, but they have Nobody's sort of that, that narrative. Nobody's element. looking at run differential. Like, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like they have Colorado has that narrative element where like they have all these they have a bunch of late like late game wins and comebacks and if they if they beat the Dodgers in the National League West, right. he might get some love too. So it's not a slam dunk. I do think Snicker is going to win it if the Braves win the division, as I've said, but it's not a mortal lock. Um you can debate the criteria and, and I would. I had a nice conversation with somebody, I think it was the Nakahoma guy, somebody um this week about how I would I I always tend to favor Guys who should that should get more love. You mentioned the other sports. I always think that the the managers slash coaches that are just the best in their field should get the awards more often than they do. Like your 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 Greg Popoviches, for instance, is like he doesn't win it enough. Like your Bill your Bill Belichick's, those guys don't win Coach of the Year as often as they should. Um, and that 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 would be the argument for Joe Madden, for instance. I think he's just a good manager, and the Cubs are the best team in the National League, and he's not going to win it because there's no narrative there because they're supposed to be good. But that's the other part of this that it's it's all about criteria. So uh, people were asking me, so I wanted to ask you, and I didn't prep you for it, but I think we're on the same, pretty much the exact same page. So it would not, have been really surprised. interesting. I can never pronounce his name, the interim 
manager with the Cardinals and how oh, they've low, done. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would have that would be really interesting. And I wonder if he's going to get any votes. But that's probably the list. What you just said is you know Bud Black, uh, Brian Sitker, and Craig Council is Craig probably Council. Yeah. the list of overachievers. Um, you know, I if if the Phillies make a run, you, you could throw Gabe Kapler in the mix, but it looks he like he won't get the votes because people he'll get the backlash of people yeah, who don't like him. I agree. <laughs> so I agree. Uh, for better or worse. Anyway, that's that's probably a good place to end it. We've covered a lot of ground here, even a short about, a short amount of time. Uh, Zach, you're a television star and all that fun stuff. Please, <laughs> please, uh, please plug yourself and all your uh, all your friends, all your many platforms, because people should be following you already. But um, when, and when you when you tweet, by the way, it's always like it, it packs a punch. You're not you're not a prolific tweeter, but when you do, it usually lands. I aim for efficiency. Uh, yeah, everybody can find Shopcast. Um, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Find uh, find all our work at, at Fox Sports Rays on Twitter. You can follow us along there. And uh, yeah, I, I'm on I'm on the Twitters. I I you know I know I know the Twitters around. So uh, I uh, you tweet I, a lot more from the Fox Sports account than you do from your own account. I'll say much more because I get pay- I I don't I don't get paid to tweet from my own account. So I get paid to tweet from the Fox account and uh, run all the social media. So yeah, everybody can follow us there. And we have some uh, stuff kind of planned if and when postseason action comes around so chopcast chopcast live um so we'll be around for that so stay tuned for all uh any sort of announcement as it comes to postseason but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves i i fully understand i've been teasing that i'll be doing more daily podcasts if the, if the playoffs arrive but i never want to just announce it because what if they don't make the playoffs it's it's um, a big if but as of right now it's over 90 percent. so we at least have to put some plans together we've, we've come full circle we're both playing for the postseason and uh, thank you, sir, for joining me. As always, I appreciate uh, you giving me some time, and we'll talk very soon. Anytime, buddy. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, all those fun places, and we'll see you guys one week. Bye.